0: You'll notice the uh, scripture there in the worship guide uh, from 1 Kings uh, chapter 18. Uh, God throughout the Bible tells us that He wants us to pray. God invites us to pray to Him. I mean, that's truly remarkable. We look in the uh, Gospel accounts and we see that Jesus gave instruction about prayer. He modeled prayer he, he, to such an extent the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. He gave us a model prayer. Uh, what we call the Lord's Prayer with categories to pray for. And yet in the New Testament, our example, the person who's used as an encouragement to us to pray is this man, Elijah, that we will go back to his life uh, again today. In the book of James, it says Elijah was a, a, a man like you and me. I mean, he was just a, a normal person. He had a special calling, but a normal person. And, and yet it said that He was a righteous man whose prayer accomplished, fervent prayer accomplished much. And so let's look uh, again today at Elijah and what happens. Let me bring you back up to uh, speed before I read the passage as to what's going on. Uh, It's 3,000 years ago, Uh, that's when this takes place, the 9th century BC. And at those times, God would speak through prophets and the king would rule. Uh, over God's people, in this case the king's name was Ahab, but it's the prophet Elijah who spoke for God. The king was to be uh, under the prophet. Uh, The message of God was to come before royalty. So Elijah is called there to go before Ahab who was an awful king and an awful man and his awful wife Jezebel. It was an arranged diplomatic marriage with a country to the north called Phoenicia, a a pagan country, and Jezebel arrived at her new home in Israel bringing with her 450 prophets of Baal, the false god, the god of the weather, and 400 prophets to Asherah, which was supposed to be like the wife of Baal. So they not only worshipped false gods, they promoted and and uh, endorsed it, and forced the people to do the same under fear of death. So Elijah appears before Ahab, and he says, except by my word there will be no rain. And then God leads uh, the word of the Lord, comes to Elijah, and tells him to go and stay at a place called the Kareth Ravine, where he's for about a year, and God provides food and water for him supernaturally. Then after he's there for about a year, God tells him to go to the city of Zarephath. And in Zarephath, there's a widow uh, who is living there. Ironically, Zarephath was in Phoenicia, that pagan country that Jezebel came from, and this was right near her hometown. Elijah goes there, and he lives in the house of this widow and her son for two years. And then the word of the Lord comes to Elijah and says, go back. And he goes back, and it's been three years now since he's been before Ahab. And when he sees Ahab, Ahab basically blames him for all the trouble, and Elijah has nothing uh, at all to do with that. He says, you're the reason all this has come about, because God had said that if my people leave and fall after other gods, I will withhold rain. So there's famine, there's death, no telling. You can imagine for three years in that part of the world the consequences of, of no rain. Uh, last week, if, if you were here, we saw where Elijah then uh, calls for a contest uh, on, on this mount, Mount Carmel, and says that let the prophets of Baal and, and Asherah come and let them call out to their God, and the God who answers, and I'll call out to Jehovah, and the God who answers, that's the real God. So we have this, without going back into the details, we have this amazing contest that takes place. And the prophets of Baal pray and plead and jump around and dance, and they're so sincere in their faith, but after hours of doing this, praying out to Baal to, to, to take their sacrifice, to answer the prayer, nothing. Silence. And then Elijah turns to the people. He confronts them. He doesn't confront Ahab. He's talking to the people of Israel. and says, how long will you waver between two opinions? If, God, if Jehovah is God, serve him. If Baal, then serve him. And then he prays a very brief prayer and boom, fire and awe, shock and awe. Fire comes down and consumes the sacrifice. It consumes even the rocks and the, the wood, the wet wood and so forth. And then judgment comes on the prophets of Baal. Now, it brings us to verse 41, which says, And Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of the rushing of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And he said, Go again, seven times. And at the seventh time he said, Behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And in a little while the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel, and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. And he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. The grass withers and the flower fades, but uh, the word of our Lord stands forever. We see here that Elijah is humble in prayer. After telling Ahab to go up uh, to get a last meal, you might say, because the rain's coming, then he goes up on Mount Carmel and he bows down to the ground and he puts his, he puts his face between his knees. He's prostrate there. He's intense in prayer. This is, this is not a, like a brief prayer before a meal or something like that. This is intensity, and we've seen that this has been his pattern. When he's with the widow and her son dies, he pleads for God not to let this happen. And the son receives his life back. When he, when he is before the people and says, choose this day, then he prays, Lord, may they see today that you are the God of Israel, the true God. So he, he is humble in prayer. He knows he doesn't have the power to change any of this. He can't cause rain to come or stop. Uh, he, he's not confident in himself. He's confident in God, and so we see this humility in prayer that he's dependent upon God. We see this confidence in God, and sometimes we think humility and confidence are opposite, but they're really the same. What prayer does is reveal how humble are you before God and how confident are you in God. The scary thing is your prayer life, my prayer life tells us about that. It, it's, it reveals our faith probably more than, far more than our words. And Elijah was humble and he was confident in God at the same time. Well, What gave him this confidence? Well, he had a general confidence in the promises of God. God had given a promise through Solomon that if my people repent and return, I will send the rain. But then he said specifically in, in 1 Kings that if they turn back to me, I will send the rain. So he was confident. In what God had promised. Now, when we come to Bible promises, and I mentioned uh, at the first service that I've never taken the time to begin counting the number of promises in the Bible that God gives to us, but those who have say that there may be as many as 10,000. I assume that's correct. I don't know. But some of those are general promises that apply to all of us, uh, like For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's a promise from God. It applies to all people everywhere. Faith in Christ, have eternal life. Jesus said, Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That is a general promise for all people. But then there were specific promises to particular people, like God told Joshua, when they were going into the promised land to march around the city of Jericho seven times, and that God would deliver the city. Well, that was a particular promise to a particular person that we don't apply today, or well, we shouldn't apply today. Some people try to, but that was something God said He was going to do for them. When Paul was was shipwrecked and God had promised him you will not die out here you will in the ocean you will appear before Caesar that was a promise just to the Apostle Paul that, that God gave so we pray the promises of God back to him and with Elijah it was for rain he was praying in accord with God's revealed will God had promised to send it and now it was Elijah's role to pray for it. if you uh, have been a person that that is not familiar with, with what we call the sovereignty of God. That is the teaching from the Bible that God controls all things. That he's over the greatest events that have happened, the rising of nations and he's over the smallest from the sparrow that falls to the number of hairs on your head. That God not only knows those, he rules over them like a king sovereignly rules over his nation. When you first begin to understand and believe that then inevitably some questions will follow and one of those will be if that's true why pray if god is going to carry out his will what difference do my prayers make i mean i don't know if what god's going to do in this situation how can i pray then What difference does it make? What difference does my prayer make? And you pick up any book on the sovereignty of God, and there will be a section on the sovereignty of God and prayer. Well, here's one helpful thing to remember, and that is God delights to do his will in answer to the prayers of his people. God delights to do his will or to carry out his will through the prayers of his people. And often the prayers of believers are the appointed channels that God has for carrying out His will. He's not limited to that channel, but He highly prefers it. Now here's a verse in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36, where God says, listen close to this. This is almost bizarre. This also I will let the house of Israel ask me to do for them to increase their men like a flock. Let me read it again. This also I will let the house of Israel ask me to do for them. I'm going to let them ask me to do something, and what that is is to increase the number of people, to multiply their population. So God is saying the population explosion for them at that time would come, but he will let them ask him to do it. So God seems to work in such a way that He declares His will. His will is that the Great Commission be fulfilled, that we go into all the world, make disciples of all nations. That's His revealed will. We know that's what He wants to happen before Christ comes again, and yet we pray toward that at the same time. Knowing that's His will, we say, Lord, empower me today, help me today, help us as a family, help us as a church, to be about the work of making disciples. So we're praying in accord with His will. That's what happens here. God says, I will give rain. The people have repented. Now we saw that in the previous verses. Now Elijah prays it it down. So we take His promises and we turn them into prayers in order that the promises may come to pass. So God confers on us an honor of being His servants and praying down His will." Now, are you still with me? It's hard to read faces with masks on, I mean, (laughs) keep them on. um, Elijah is intense in his prayer, but I want you to notice something here, and that is the creativity or variety with which God answers. When Elijah prayed, we saw last week, for God to show himself there on Mount Carmel with the sacrifice. One time prayer, boom, answer. This time, tells the servant, he prays, go look. Look out toward the ocean. Is there a thunderstorm coming? Nothing. Prays again, go, nothing. Seven times. Why? We don't know. We don't know except god answers prayer in a variety of ways why it was seven times there's no explanation clear sky clear sky clear sky oh there's a cloud way in the distance about the size of a man's fist and elijah says that's it it's coming let me tell you a story um, about how god answers prayer in a variety of ways and we we i think we need to hear this this happened a number of years ago I, i read uh, in one of a, a book by Andy Stanley. He, he told about when he was the youth pastor at First Baptist Church in Atlanta, where his father at that time was the pastor. Andy uh, had a discipleship group uh, with some guys, and there was a guy in his group named Chris. And Chris, uh, they knew each other very well. They were good friends. And, and Chris attended Dunwoody High School. And Chris determined and told the guys in the group, that um, he was a rising senior. And so that summer before his senior year in high school, he said, I am praying for and trusting God to provide the opportunity for, for me to share the gospel with every student at Dunwoody High School. And Andy said they were, they were taken back, one with the magnitude of his vision, so to speak, and also his faith. This, this rather uh, nondescript guy named Chris, he, but he, he, he prayed regularly, and, and so Andy said, we took it seriously, we brainstormed, we tried to think of creative ways, what can we do this coming year, maybe a postcard to everybody, maybe send out some kind of message. He said, we, we tried to brainstorm and say, okay Chris, we're gonna, we're gonna try to see if we can help with this, and this is what God's put on your heart. And he said there was a, another problem though, and they couldn't come up with a practical way to make it happen, but he said the other problem was Chris had no influence. He said he wasn't on a team, he wasn't a star athlete, he wasn't president of anything, and he was alternative before alternative was cool. Uh, he was a skateboarder, he was a skater, and he said at some schools that would be valuable. At that school, he said, you were not, that was not acceptable. And so Chris was, didn't have any influence. He said he had a lot of vision and passion, but no influence. So school year started, they continued to pray, and um, time went on, and it seemed as though nothing toward that prayer goal happened. Um, And enter another person, and this student's name is Mark. Mark comes to Dunwoody High School as a, uh, a junior, a rising junior, when Chris is going to be a rising senior. Mark's family had divorced when he was young. They lived in Miami. Uh, His dad moved to Atlanta. He lived with his mother in Miami. He hit the teenage years with a vengeance, rebellion, drugs, alcohol. It was awful. And his mother got fed up with it by the time he was a 10th grader. Sent him. She said, you're going to live in Atlanta with your dad. So he went up there furious. He didn't want to leave his friends. He didn't want to leave Miami. He didn't want to live with his father. So he walked into Dunwoody High School that first day and they said that the hatred he had for everybody and everything preceded him by about 10 minutes before he actually entered the room. Nobody wanted anything to do with this new student. Nobody wanted to have anything to do with him except Chris. Chris being the alternative kid, he was unintimidated by anybody. He walked up to Mark in the lunchroom and said, hey, my name's Chris Foley introduced himself, sat down, got to talking to him, found out he was new, he said, let me show you around, I'll show you around the campus, meet introduce you, show you what's happening, and showed him around, they talked, they found out that Mark liked music, they both liked the same kind of music. Mark played the drums, Chris played the bass, so he said, Chris invited him over, so why don't you come over this Friday night, spend the night at our house, my parents, and we'll play and talk music, so he did. So Mark goes to Chris's house on Friday night, they, listen to music for a few hours and then late in the night, he opens up to, to Chris about what was going on with him. How he hated to leave his friends in Miami, all the trouble he'd caused, he didn't want to be in Atlanta, certainly didn't want to be at a new school, he, he was just in a, he was in a bad way. And so Chris Chris just loved him and, and said, I, I, I can only imagine. Chris saw him as just an angry guy in a lot of pain. told him about Christ. He said, look, I'm a Christian. I told him about the Heavenly Father who loved him and how he could know Christ personally. And so that night, uh, Mark puts his faith in Christ, comes to First Baptist Church a a week later, gets involved with the youth ministry that whole year. Meanwhile, they're going through the school year. Chris graduates, and as Andy said, all uh, the vision, the prayer, all the students hear the gospel, never happened. Chris finishes, goes off to college. Senior year, uh, Mark and has been in Andy's discipleship group. Spring break comes around, his senior year, and he says, you're not going to believe what happened. The teachers asked me to say a few words at the arrival of assembly. assembly. Now, the arrival of at assembly at Dunwoody High School, I assume it still goes on, it's, at that time, happened every Friday right before spring break. And it was an assembly of the whole school Basically, to talk about, the, to hear about, people speak about the dangers of drinking and driving. But it was a real popular; people looked forward to it. So, Andy said, the principal knew about Mark and his past and changes that had happened. So she said, "Mark, would you? I think it'd be good for a student to hear the students to hear from a student." So, all the students, all the faculty, all the administration jammed in this large gymnasium that Friday afternoon. And the main speaker is a former student from there, now out of school for many years, gave a 30-minute talk trying to scare everybody and all this, and said when he finished there was some polite applaud. And then the principal walked to the microphone in the middle of the gym floor and said, students, I think you'd like to hear from one of your own. This is uh, from Mark Foley. And Mark, Mark uh, walks to the center of the gymnasium, takes a microphone, kind of looks down, and says told about himself said i when i came to dunwin high school i didn't want to be here and i was angry and i hated everybody and everything and then i met a guy named chris and chris got to know me we became friends and through him i learned that god loves me and he sent his son and and i've and i believe in that and it's changed me and i've still got a lot of problems but if there's anything uh, i can i can answer any questions i'd be glad to and he put the microphone back up on the stand walked off standing ovation from all the students, faculty, went on for several minutes. And he said as he walked away from there, he got to the parking lot, he said, that was God answering Chris's prayer. Chris didn't get to see it. He was at college, but God answered the prayer with the variety that God does answer prayer. He answered Chris's prayer for everybody to hear the gospel, but in a way he never would have expected, and yet Chris was faithful to even to reach out to a guy like Mark. What are you praying for right now? I hope you can think of some things right now. I want to urge you, don't envision what the answer will look like. Don't say, Lord, I, I, I please please do this in, 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 my, in my family's life or in, in our church and it will look just like this when you do it. We rarely know what it will look like. In his creativity in and, and Elijah seven times rain. Nope, nothing in the sky, sky's blue, sky's blue, sky's blue, sky six times, boom, tiny cloud in the distance. That's God's creativity. Last point, the last part of the passage is kind of weird and that is the rain comes, it's 17 miles from Mount Carmel to this to Jezreel and Elijah runs it and Ahab is in the chariot And Elijah outruns the chariot. It's 17 miles. What's up with this? Chip, a few minutes ago you said even Elijah knew he didn't have any superhuman strength. He didn't. And the passage tells us, what does it say? That God did this. God is the one. The hand of the Lord was on Elijah. He ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. What is this? This is God's grace. Two things real quickly. Why wasn't Ahab put to death with all those false prophets? He had promoted the idolatry, and yet God in His grace allows him to live. And now He's given him even more of a chance. Those Bible scholars tell us that this is highly symbolic. And the symbolism is that the proper order that had been turned upside down the proper order now is seen that the prophet comes before the king, and the king follows the word of God as revealed by the prophet. And so they say the fact that Elijah arrives before Ahab, runs before him, is a statement that now the king is again to follow what the prophet's saying. So it's not only for the nation, but it's also for Ahab. God is showing his grace and mercy to Ahab. So it brings us again to the two extremes that we often think about. One extreme about God's grace is, yeah, I believe in God's grace. He forgives and I sin and I like that arrangement and I can do whatever I want to and He'll forgive me. That's a misunderstanding of God's grace. The other is, God can't forgive me. I mean, He doesn't know or you don't know terrible things I've done. I am beyond the reach of God's grace. Both are wrong. Even even Ahab, is being given a second chance. I like to say he accepted it, which he doesn't, but God gives it to him. Jesus continually invites us to come to him. In the Old Testament, God said, come now, let us reason together. Though your sins are scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. Let's pray together. Our Father, you invite us to pray. You tell us, like even with Elijah, you tell us in the book of James that the the fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplished much. Help us, even today and this week, to grow in humility and confidence as expressed by our prayers. Help us to recognize when you answer prayers in ways that we never anticipated. May our trust be in Christ and Him only. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.